This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome inside episode 16 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast, a podcast all about learning to fly and flying uh, later in life and midlife uh, stage. This is what this podcast is. And uh, my name is Chris Moran. I am known to some as the Midlife Pilot on YouTube and uh, quickly gaining ground on me and becoming uh, a YouTube sensation himself is my co-host uh, from the uh, Music Row of Nashville, Tennessee, uh, music creator, uh, midlife aviator, um, deep thinker, um, and and rapidly becoming a, a great friend of mine. Brian Siskind is alongside, as always. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Thanks for the uh, the superlatives. Um, uh, deep thinker is such a nice way of saying neurotic, but I still appreciate it. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is awesome. I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad you made it. Uh, I'm glad that I, I'm so glad that I know where you are because I've been to that awesome place, that awesome house. And, I cannot, uh, I cannot show it to those who are viewing on the stream tonight. I am, uh, I am in, this is the site of our midlife pilot fly-in from a few weeks ago. I'm at our house in Corolla, North Carolina. I've made my way to the deck because my whole family is here. Um, my my immediate family, so my wife and kids, but my parents are here, my sister and brother-in-law and their two young children are here. So we have 10 people in this house. And the only place I could find even remotely private enough to record this hour-long podcast was on the second floor deck out here upstairs. So I'm trying to do it from here uh, tonight to do it. But yes, Brian uh, has sat in this very seat, I believe, that I'm sitting in. Uh, on this deck uh, just and, and weeks I, and ago. I've had, and I've had a lot of fun with some of your family too, so, which was a pleasure. So um, very cool. I, I kind of wish that I was there. I've got a little bit of FOMO, but um, but that's okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it looks like, okay, Bearded Aviator just said he's late. I, he should understand uh, you are not late. In fact, no. you're right on time because we just got going. But, um, but I'm super excited about, uh, <laughs> even though it's maybe a bit dark, um, uh, I really am excited about the topic that we're covering tonight. And um, it did start with a lot of times I'll poll the internet to kind of just get a feel for people's interest in a topic or um, just see what people have to contribute outside of the group that's in here in the chat, which is obviously the best group. But, um, but basically, uh, you know, sent a thing out and just basically asked, what are you most afraid of in flying? Um, and, it the post went haywire. Um, there's more comments on this post than views on all the last five videos I've probably made. Um, it's incredible to see the response. Um, a lot of them obviously are redundant and maybe pretty obvious, although still meaningful. Some were kind of surprising. Um, some were purely sarcastic. You know, you've got the whole gamut of uh, commenters and responders, but I'm super excited to talk about it. I think... Um, 
I, th- I don't know. I think everybody's going to have something unique to offer. And I guess as opposed to just listing what people are afraid of, I guess we should also, we haven't really talked about it, but I suppose we can also just talk about maybe our experiences with, if we have any um, concerns that are similar or how we might, at least to our experience thus far, deal with those anxieties or fears. For sure. I think it is a good topic because I was, I, after you sent it to me a couple of days ago, I kind of, I thought about it a little bit. Um, as it relates to like the stage of flying that I'm in, and I have a couple of I have a couple of ideas too. But if you're here with us tonight, um, to those of you listening on the audio podcast, uh oh, typically at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight's special. It's 8:30 just because of my stupid schedule. But um, we love to interact with those of you who are here uh, live for this recording. So definitely be posting in the chat. Um, kind of the ideas of things that, that scare you, but I'm not going to dictate this one. I'm going to like, I want to listen first, Brian. I, I've got to be a better listener. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to also comment on like, Brian had a video that he posted recently. I don't know if anybody has seen it on, on his channel on YouTube, Brian Siskin, uh, called Nobody Cares. Um, seriously, I know you wrote, you're, you're making faces at this, but like, I think this is kind of a, this is a, it's a, um, it's a concept that I think to those who create anything, whether it's like YouTube content for aviation or like, uh, I guess really anything I I, I'm in love with this concept ever since we started talking about it because, um, and here's a look kind of peek behind the curtain. I published a video this week, uh, for the first time in a long time. It's been a month since I had published anything on my YouTube channel and I am consistently paralyzed by, inadequate thoughts of inadequacy or not being able to publish things because I overthink what the expectations are for me to publish. And I think you're the way you have articulated the concept of nobody cares in a way that is not demeaning to the audience. I mean, it's, we're not, it's not what it sounds like. You know what I mean? It is such a, it is such an empowering concept. Um, If you have not checked out Brian's video uh, called um, nobody cares. Uh, you, you should watch it. It really is a, um, it's kind of a, um, it's freeing is what it is. It's, it's a really good concept. If you're a creator, uh, it's, it's something really to, to kind of think about anyway, leading with that, I had to get that out of the way. Cause I watched it. I watched it twice. Actually. Oh, thanks man. Uh, That's yeah. awesome. So cool. Cause when we, we talked about it in person a lot and, and it's sort of, it takes a minute to, figure out a way to articulate that without it sounding pithy or, or whatever. So I'm glad you got it. And yeah, it was, it. Yeah. no, it was no, no, very, 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 very good. Um, it's been super helpful to me. Uh, in fact, our whole, the depth of kind of our relationship has been super helpful to me and that you, you're, you're kind of my, um, we're like yin and yang a little bit. Like you have been very helpful, um, to kind of just help me focus on the right things and not so much on the things that are not. Oh, so, man. Yeah. It's, well, been, it's I mean, been very good. That's the giving back that I can do because, I mean, your your videos, you know, really inspired me and helped me get through training because I just thought, man, if this guy can do it, I sure as heck can do it. Exactly. No, no, I'm just kidding. But no, your, your oh, stuff yeah. really helped me. So if I can help back, that's great. For sure. So what what are you scared of? I guess let's just start there. Like let's yeah. uh, let's jump into this. What are some uh, things? Uh, what are some things? Because I mean. Aviation in itself is scary. I mean, there's anybody who doesn't who doesn't at least acknowledge the fact that every time you go full throttle on the runway and you're like 
barreling down the runway that there's there's inherent risk. I mean, there's risk involved. Uh, you're fooling yourself. I mean, there's absolutely risk involved in that. So what what scares you? What what scares mm-hmm. you? Well, um, you know, I mean, we'll save some of the more obvious things, but um, if I had anything that might be unique, I would say, and I don't have any reason for this. Uh, I haven't had a situation that came close to this at all, but I just know that it can happen. But one of my, and this is also when we're asking this question, we're not saying what is the most likely thing or how, how rational is this? It's not about that. Like a lot of this is not rational and that's okay. It's just about what it is. Uh, so for me, um, I have, when I have other people in the plane that are not pilots and perhaps maybe not the most versed in getting flown around or whatever, um, besides the obvious of, you know, somebody getting airsick or whatever, I actually have just a weird part of my brain that's just thinking, what am I going to do if somebody just freaks out? And by, I mean, freak out, like sort of like a caged animal, you know, just somebody goes into some weird, almost like a seizure of fight or flight. Um, And I know that there's plenty of incidents that have happened with uh, CFIs where the students have overpowered them on the controls, um, nervously just grabbing and pulling, you know, so there's so many things you have to do in aviation that are kind of the not intuitive thing and to the naked eye, to the bystander, to the person just sitting next to you that doesn't know anything about what's going on. You have a situation where maybe you all of a sudden have partial power or something and, and you're immediately dropping the nose. Well, that, that could very much feel like the wrong thing to do to them. And they might feel in their fight or flight that they need to grab the controls and pull it back. And then being in some wrestling match, uh, with people like that, a little side story real quick. And I don't want to talk too long in this, but you know, my father was a pilot of course, and I'll never forget, uh, when I was on a ski lift with him, I was nine years old. I got on the ski lift with him. We started to go up and I slipped and fell off of this, the chairlift, but I was able to grab on with my hands and hold on And the chair. They, the lift operator didn't see us and we were still going up. And I looked up at my, my dad and I was expecting him to come, try to grab me. And he knew that he just kind of, because of everything going on, he actually just started plucking my fingers off, you know? So I'm like, <laughs> you know, because he knew that if I fell right then that I'd be fine. But if he waited another, even five seconds, I'd hit some rocks. So, um, there's so many things in flying that are not intuitive. So, um, and you, you don't know unless you know. So that's probably one of mine is just somebody thinking that it just like trying to override a decision in a, in a situation where I know better and they don't, but they're freaking out. Wow. Yeah. I love that. I have a similar one to that. I have a similar fear, uh, that is not exactly that, but is, it, it's actually a little, it's, it's a little darker than that, honestly. <laughs> Uh, so I run a flying club here in, uh, well, not here in Fairmont where I live. And, uh, we have about 30 plus members and I'm, I'm, I'm regularly meeting new people who who want to join the club who are not pilots, uh, people who want to learn to, to train, to become pilots who are potential student pilots who I, I am taking as a non CFI, basically up for a discovery flight. I've done this uh. several times. So not like not like a teaching discovery flight. Like, have you ever been in a small airplane? They're like, no. And they're like, I'm like, would you like to, I would love to get a free hour in an airplane and just take you up for, I mean, I would just love to fly anytime I can, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, then I sit them in the right seat. I have this probably, like you said, 
some of these like these aren't like the logical fears right but like this fear of taking people i don't know in an airplane like i don't know it, these people that i'm meeting for the first time at mm-hmm. the airport before i put them in the plane beside me a lot yeah. of these guys these are guys a lot of them are younger and more built than me like could easily <laughs> overpower overpower me in any situation um i have this illogical fear of like one of them freaking out like you say or even worse you know even mentally in a worse place like intentionally doing something you know and and taking over the plane and, and taking us down uh yeah. that's a constant fear i have when i take a stranger up like i don't have that fear necessarily when i take people that i have a long history with or people that i know yeah. but um, so you did you did take it to the next level yeah that is darker yeah that's i have a really regular fear of that my second one unless you have more on that my, my second ahead. one is is i think a little bit more reasonable and i think i saw somebody i think i saw something else flash by the comments earlier like um <laughs> one dog geek i uh, I have to acknowledge this real quick. One dog geek who's here with us tonight, uh, who was at the fly-in, uh, Mark says, oh, wow, Chris, when I asked you for a ride, I didn't mean to tweak your fears. <laughs> it, we we didn't end up getting to go out in Mark's uh, Cherokee 140. I really, really wanted to go fly in it. Uh, we just, it things didn't uh, work out. I Believe me, Mark, when I tell you, and I, I know you're joking, that was, uh, you, that did not cross my mind and jumping in your airplane. But um my second one is I saw a flash by in the chat earlier, and I think a lot of people have this fear. I have a I have a constant underlying fear of um, like structural failure of the aircraft, like of just something something failing, whether it is in the like um, the control system, the ca- you know the control cables, the control uh, surfaces, or specifically in our Cherokee which doesn't even remotely qualify for the wing spar AD, but the, it has been done. The Eddie Kern, everything has been done. I, I'm a constant uh, state of con- concern, not like, you know, overwhelming, but like it's in the back of my mind all the time. Like the wing might fall off today. I don't know. Is the wing going to fall off? Today? Yeah, I, yeah. I have a constant state of um, hyper awareness of the fact that these are 50 and 60 year old airplanes and, you know, well, the thing could fall apart. Today. I, have, I have one question for you about that. So is that what was going uh, through your mind when you did that approach down to Billy Mitchell right there on the coast um, and then carried on up from there? Is uh, I, I seem to remember. I mean, I'm not sure what approach. A little bit of wing loading going on there. Uh, well, I think it was less. It was definitely, yeah. There may have been a little loading. I, I was actually not thinking about that at the time. Now that you mention it, uh, <laughs> the one time you're not, the one time I had it. the most loading on the wing, probably I probably <laughs> should have been thinking about it. But uh, yeah. no, I just worry. I think that's always in my mind in these airplanes is like the things I can't control. Like, right? Can right. you train for the stuff that you can? You know, you fly the things the way you were trained, and you make the decisions the way you were trained. But the stuff you really can't control is the mm-hmm. um, the structural or the control things that are going to, that could potentially fail in the airplane. And so that's always kind of, uh, that's always kind of in my mind on every flight. Well, so I, I want to do a rapid fire kind of uh, list or uh, sort of a recitation of this list that we got, because there's just so many, if anybody in the chat has any that they feel aligned with or would like to comment on, we can kind of double down on some of these, but I thought maybe we can just, cause there's hundreds um, <laughs> turns out there's a, if you ask people what they're afraid of, they, there's a lot of things, um, which is good. 
So, uh, obviously engine failure on takeoff. That's, um, again, you know, one that, um, yeah. Right. Like you just, all you can do is what you can do. Um, to that's, and that's yeah. a bigger deal in some people's cases than others. Uh, stinky weasel, mm-hmm. um, is my friend bill is here. He just got his private pilot certificate a month ago. Oh, nice. He mentioned that as his as his biggest fear at an airport like we fly out of at Fairmont. That's a three thousand ish foot runway with a hill on one side and a river on the other uh, in our mountainous terrain in West Virginia. It's not. It's a big. It is a big deal. I mean, that's a. Then a lot of cases that's going to be a non recoverable. I mean, that's a off airport like bad terrain situation. Yeah. Uh, deal some of you guys who are out in like the midwest you know we've got some guys out from nebraska and wisconsin some other folks like you know things are a little different there a lot of your fields your eight thousand foot runways and your fields on either side and like that's a much less that's a that's a less deal uh for some folks than it is for others but in our case for sure yeah uh, engine failure on takeoff is a gigantic risk uh, at our fairmont airport in west virginia yeah, I think um, in, in kind of related to that, something I've always thought about is um, I don't, I, I don't, I'm afraid of being in the position of making a decision based on an engine out of doing something that I know is not going to work out for me versus the risk of affecting or hurting someone else. And I don't, that dynamic can play out in so many different ways depending on what's happening. And I, I think I just have, not necessarily a fear of the outcome of that as much as just the fear of being under that duress and that dilemma in that moment and having to wrestle with, with those kinds of mathematics. But, um, but yeah. Bearded aviator, uh, brings up a point. It's kind of it's pseudo related, I guess, because a lot of these things happen on, you know, on takeoff or on landing. Uh, he says been really close to some huge birds as a PSA. They do not always dive away. Bird strikes kind of scare me. Fortunately have not hit one yet. Bird strikes are, a, I mean, obviously it's a big deal in, in GA. Um, we had a guy hit a bird, hit a, hit, Three, no, four geese in our Cessna 172 in our club's plane on landing at Fairmont. Fortunately, it was on landing. Takeoff could have been a much worse thing. And also, fortunately for him, hit the wing, the leading edge of the wing, and not like right into the to the cockpit. Um, but that put our plane out of commission for a few months. I mean, did some pretty significant damage to the leading edge of the wing. Uh, so bird strikes obviously are a big deal. Could have hit the could have hit the prop. Had to rest up the prop on takeoff or whatever so yeah that's a great point yeah that that came up a lot and um uh there's that's another one where it's like i mean there's only so many things that you can really do i mean you know i think I, my experience that pilots have been pretty uh good about if i'm coming into some weird airport or something pilots on the ground just they hear you're coming they'll say hey well you know watch out for this or watch out for these they're all in this tree over here or, or whatever. So um, I think the good news is most pilots are nervous about that and are happy to share information to keep others out of trouble. So that's good. Um, so uh, somebody else said uh, essentially making a mistake that leads to some sort of an emergency or loss of control. And I think that that's a really good one. Um, you know, sadly I heard about an accident just the other day where young kid basically um, you know, thought he was having an engine out 
and then figured out that he just was in a 150 and had all the flaps uh, still down on a, on a, on the go of a touch and go. And he just went with all the flaps and that may have been a pretty big factor in the, in the whole situation. I don't know, but, um, but either way, I've, I've heard of friends making that mistake. I know a lot of people have made that mistake. I can't think of many things in flying where you don't get a second chance. Like there's certain mistakes you can make where one, you mess up what you do activate one switch in the wrong way at the wrong time and you're going to smash the ground. That's so I think that I I can relate to just sort of being nervous about that. I had my flaps on takeoff once, uh, but that didn't last. So anyway, it's like the, 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 I can totally relate to the primary fear of making a mistake. Yeah, that's fair. I I also saw that. I've been following that, that story as well. And it's, Mm. um, it is kind of crazy. I've, I've kind of moved past the idea. I I would tell people all the time that fly with me or people that are thinking of flying, like it's, you know, people have this fear of GA and I'm like, you know, even, I mean, worst case scenario, we always talk about engine failure, engine failure. The plane isn't going to fall out of the sky. And in just about every case, the, the things you hear of these, the accents you hear of are people who, um, and someone mentioned in the chat a few minutes ago, I think it was uh, one dull geek. Yeah, Mark said, um, it, weather is his biggest fear. It's difficult to predict you know, with accuracy. It can go from docile to deadly in a snap. VFR and IMC gives him chills. The, the accents that, that, that our friends, our non-pilot friends read about, the people we're going to take with us are like the planes that you see that fall out of the sky you know, seemingly or like end up in the ground. And a lot of times I tell people, well, you know, people, um, it, it, it's decision-making, right? It's like the things like four or five steps ahead of that that led them to this case. They made bad decisions. They flew into conditions that they weren't qualified to be in they made decisions in those conditions that led to a structural failure of the plane and they tore the plane apart in the sky or they they stall you know they they did a stall spin situation where they you know at too low altitude where they didn't fly the plane all the way at the ground like i tell people all the time like you end up if you find yourself in that condition of an engine out even you know you fly the plane until it will not fly like no matter what you're flying into fly it into the trees or to the water or to the road or to the field, whatever you're flying to fly it, uh, which sounds easy when we sit here and, and discuss it um, on this podcast tonight. But yeah, you're right. It's like, I try to think my, my mindset has changed. I think that comes with like time and experience. Like it's less about the one thing that I'm going to do now. That's going to make like it's <laughs> right. not it's not an instant decision that i'm going like whoop up it's over the plane is in the ground now like it there are very few cases in my mind now today that i'm gonna flip a switch or pull a lever or do a thing that's gonna put yeah. me into a situation like that but um well you think about the student you know the solo student and you think there is the there are those cases uh there are those cases i salute at nine brian like there are cases I, and that's what I, all the time i think my god there are so many things i did didn't know at that time that like I could have put myself in a position, you know, where if anything had gone wrong in a way that it had never gone wrong before, how would I have reacted to that, uh, to that Mm -hmm. moment? And I just think that, I think those, those, those like critical moments decline, I think the further along you get like the instantaneous moments, like they become less and less and less of, 
of yeah. a factor. Now, certainly there are more critical times, like you're close to the ground, you're slow speed, you're high angle. Like, you know, there are times where things are more critical, but it's not like, um, it's, it's not quite like that as much anymore for me. Well, and then, you know, on the other side of it, you've got just purely external variables that are beyond your control. I suppose there's things you can do, but generally, um, or one of the common things that came up in this list was uh, people are definitely afraid of midair collisions and just being affected by someone else not doing what they're supposed to do or when they're supposed to do it or something around that. And, you know, that, that, that's not much different to me than just the, you know, being in traffic on driving and just being in a anticipatory defensive mindset at all times. And you just, you just do the best, you know, you can, I've not had any particular close calls. Um, so I haven't experienced maybe that <laughs> sort of terror. I've had some things where I'm like that, that plane really shouldn't be that close to me, but then I figured out it was you and I was following you. I should just <laughs> slow down. So, um, no, but, uh, so, you know, there's definitely th those, those, those things. Um, and I think that, uh, I mean, and people, somebody in here said, you know, there's, they think that being afraid of a midair is a silly thing. And I'm like, no, that's not a silly thing to be afraid. I mean, it's probably one of the most, if everybody's got a fear of it, then that's good because then they will be more, uh, vigilant. And so that's what it takes. Um, I was trying to think a lot of people said they were afraid of the invoice or the bill, uh, which I thought was funny. Um, and there were some others that were just around, you know, uh, accidentally flying into airspace that you shouldn't fly into. Um, somebody said uh, they're afraid that the FAA will not truly acknowledge their awesomeness. So, I mean, that's a, that's a thing. Um, I'm still waiting. <laughs> um, oh, here's another one that I thought was actually quite common with, with me. And, and it had me thinking a lot, actually. Um, a lot of people were talking about failing a medical or just aging out or whatever it is, but just essentially just knowing that this can't go on forever. Um, and as you know, that's, that's a tough one, you know, that's yeah, a really tough thing to sit there and ponder, especially for us midlife, uh, pilots, you know, yeah, for sure. It, I think that I think that probably secondarily, I would agree with everyone. I think secondary uh, to my fear of like structural or mechanical failure of the airplane is probably midair or other pilots' um, behavior. I, I've just become. Uh, I fly in and out of a non-towered airport uh, at Fairmont, and I've flown to other reasonably busy non-towered airports, and. Wow, people were quick to remind me in the comment sections of my videos um, that you know straight in is not the approved. You know, anyway, that we could argue all day the merits of various things that have happened to me over the over the course of my short flying career. But uh, other people are unpredictable. I mean, we're, uh, human beings are unpredictable driving or flying or whatever we're doing, regardless of what the. Because there's gray areas to everything. I don't care if it's FAA regulations or whatever it is. There's a gray kind of area to these things. And I think that uh, in decision making to the, to the, so 
I think that um, other people and their decisions are probably secondary to like mechanical failures, but that would be my second biggest fear. I think is what other people are doing. Yeah. And some people were talking about, um, you know, sort of things around uh, sort of getting the sort of, you know, told to copy a number like lack of ATC compliance in some way or breaking a reg or, you know, those kind of things for whatever reason, I, I don't have that one so much because I just feel like I feel like I'm I, I don't know, anything could happen at any point, but I'm so paranoid about that. I suppose I don't, I mean, and I've, I mean, you know, like when we were out at your fly in, I was flying with the Sage and I mean, those, they are serious about those MOAs out there, man. Um, and we just, I mean, barely, 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 barely cut the corner on one and they were right on us, man. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I just don't want to, I don't want to cause any problems. So I don't, I don't worry about that one so much. Um, here's an interesting one, Josh, uh, Josh, my buddy from Pittsburgh, who is a serious pilot, um, started sliding on takeoff on a snowy runway. First instinct wasn't to abort takeoff, but rather try to pull it into the air below rotation speed that led him in retrospect. That's an interesting I find myself in some of those conditions, Brian, I don't know about you sometimes, like I commit, like I sometimes do feel like when I look back on things, like I'm committed to taking off before I should be. And I'm committed to landing sometimes before I should be like, I've, I've made the commitment that I'm taking off or I'm landing before maybe it's a safe time to do that. Uh, that's, mm. I look at some, I, when I watch back some things, like I think sometimes, ooh, I probably should have went around, you know, or should have like, mm-hmm. I don't know about those things, but like I get, I get committed that I'm going to put this thing down or I'm going to get up in the air. Uh, but I can see how that can happen. Right. Because like, can you, I, I have not had the experience of sliding on a slippery, like contaminated runway before, but like, I could see the, I could see the inclination. Like I'm already going so fast and in the split second decision. Like, well, if I'm already sliding this bad, how am I going to stop safely? Like I'm thinking like, right. I just get this thing off the ground, just get it off the ground. Like I could yeah. see the instinct to like pull it off and like fight with it and try to save it. Right. Especially in a, a reasonably powered plane in right. cold air. Um, I don't know. I, I can't say that I would have done it different. Um, I think, I mean, I guess it would depend on, I don't know what's around. Are there snow banks? Are there, <clears throat> but yeah, that's, that's a pretty wild one. Uh, oh, and by the way, Josh, uh, congratulations. Your, your video um, has gone obviously totally viral and um, you know, it's it, that one video has more views than the entirety of my life's work. Uh, so well done for that, man. <laughs> Uh, really well done. Yeah, that was, uh, he had a video on, um, there was an emergency, emergency airplane in flight. He was, uh, talking to a controller. There was a, uh, another aircraft squawking emergency, um, trying to land at a nearby airport. And he was like playing the eyes for the air traffic controllers. Pretty cool. We talked about last time. So that was, uh, that was, uh, pretty cool. If you haven't seen it, um, we should, Make a note, Brian. We got to link that in the description of this video on YouTube. But we'll uh, we'll make yeah. a link to the uh, to that video again. It was pretty. It was pretty cool to hear him uh, talking to the controller about that. Yeah, 
Uh, that was that was a good good uh, a good experience, and obviously being a good citizen trying to help out is a good thing. Um, so, a lot of people definitely talked about, by the way, um, sort of you know controls failing specifically, you know, just losing an elevator or you know um, rigging. You know, I suppose. I had a just a weird um, the other so oh by the way this is not necessarily related but uh, sort of related I did my first uh, night cross country um, this past week which by the way I still am just astounded that that's not required I don't understand how it is that you're doing all these things for the first time after you have your pilot license that just seems a little strange but uh, I had a really good flight um, I did my night currency and then not long after did. Uh, a night cross country. And in, in doing that, I, I flew a plane that I've flown a lot, but it had just gotten out of a hundred hour. Um, and man, some like the whole rigging felt entirely different and it felt like, um, I couldn't get enough. I actually had a little freak for a second that, that maybe I just misjudged when I checked the flight controls when I took off and or that just something had happened that had jammed it because I, I felt like I couldn't get back pressure on landing. Um, uh, it wasn't the worst landing in the world, but it certainly wasn't the best. And I've flown this plane, you know, I don't know, 70 hours or something or 100 hours. And I could not, I mean, I, I, for a split second, I thought this is happening right now. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to just use trim or whatever. Um, it didn't happen, but it did have me thinking about control surfaces going bye-bye is a little nerve wracking. I feel like I've studied a lot about sort of, you know, bold method has a bunch of great articles and scenario based things on if you lose a particular, um, flight control, what you can do. Uh, have you looked that stuff over Chris? I have, and it's, uh, not to downplay it. I mean, because yeah. it's obviously, no, huge, no, no, obviously it is a huge, <laughs> it is a huge deal, but the nice thing about the planes that most of us are flying, the, the you know the small light single engines, um, it, it sounds catastrophic, but if things are reasonably, if the plane is in good shape, like uh, these things are generally recoverable, uh, you know, with secondary controls. So, like with between power, trim, and flaps, um, especially with like ele- elevator specifically, um, that's generally recoverable. Um, it's not, but, but it's horrifying. It's horrifying. I mean, it would be a, you know, nobody wants, (laughs) nobody wants to go through that, but like, it's not an immediate, like, uh, you're playing the thing in the field, you know, it's, uh, but yes, I have looked through a lot of that, like how to, how to kind of the best practice to, to, to overcome the various failures of a specific system. Elevator seems the, I mean, not the easiest, but like, there, you have a number of tools at your disposal because so many things impact attitude, right? Like power yeah. and trim. Yeah. You, in, in, um, in our, in our 172, we don't have the luxury of rudder trim and the Cherokee we do. So we have an additional trim axes for a, kind of a loss of rudder. Now I would be horrified in our Cherokee 235 to lose rudder, like on takeoff, like mm-hmm. just because of the left turning. Like, I don't know how, like, hopefully there's nothing to the left of you because it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, that's the direction you're going. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's kind of horrifying. That's kind of horrifying. Did you uh, see the, uh, the flight club that I'm in got a, a 180? I did. And that's exciting. That's yeah. exciting. 
I hope you're going to, you plan on, I'm assuming you're going to plan on getting checked out on that thing and getting some time. I mean, that, that yeah. changes things a little bit in terms of like payload and like speed and, you know, the things you can do with that, I'm sure. So that's kind of, I just want to be like you. That's all. You're getting close. You got uh, 55, 55 more horsepower, right? <laughs> to get to the 235. Um, Fowler, Two eight three seven nine says funny story about wrong switch. So we were talking earlier about you know you flip one wrong switch and like well yeah. uh, early in training recovery from power off stall motor skills got crossed up and he pushed the nose over full instead of pushing in full power. So in my mind I'm thinking like on a power off stall I'm thinking well there's worse things you could do I guess than push the nose over. It's quick. It's a slower way to like <laughs> recover. You know. You should be kind of doing both, you know, kind of both things. But like, uh, at least you're going the nose in the right direction. If you had said like f- pulled full back instead of like pushing power, and it'd be like even more catastrophic. But uh, yeah, it's not yeah. bad. It's not too bad. Not the worst. Not the. Hey, I've heard worse. I mean, I've you know, there's worse uh, things you could have done there. So another one that somebody mentioned that I I can actually uh, attest to pretty as being uh, one of mine is somebody said. Um, uh, a wasp in the cabin, which has happened to me probably twice or three times, but it's, I don't, I don't want anything like that going on. We had some, some people from our flying club shared. We had a couple of photos. We have a Slack. We run a Slack uh, group that everybody communicates in. And we have a one channel, our Slack group called uh, flight photos. And the whole point is like people to share pictures and videos from their flights and club airplanes. And, um, one guy had uh, had one of the planes out a couple weeks ago, and there were bees. There was a bee in, <laughs> bee in the cockpit, and that is a terrible. That's a terrible fear of mine too. I mean, like it's fine, but like I do not need to be dealing with like swatting this thing away. But because I would be like, you know, you act like I'm gonna be sterile cockpit and like take off straight ahead, and, like my all my energy is focused <laughs> on it. But I can promise you, <laughs> there's a wasp flying around me. At least a little bit of my attention is diverted to like trying to keep it away from me as it's, oh, yeah. uh, as it's coming up. One dog, one dog geek said I had a wasp in the cabin during my check ride. <laughs> <laughs> the DPE freaked out a ton more about it than I did. Uh, he's written about it, but uh, not filmed. Obviously he wasn't filming his uh, check ride, but yeah, that's classic. What a time for that to happen. had a praying mantis hanging out on the window lever. Oh, uh, man. That's cool. That is cool. That is cool. They can't hurt you, right? I mean. No, but you also can't kill them. I mean, you're. I guess you're not supposed to kill them. Are they protected? Or is that a myth? I always had question whether that was like. Uh, if oh, I you're going to. Here we go. He's going down the yeah, Google. You, quick, Brian. Fill time. <laughs> uh, one that I thought was a pretty funny entry that somebody had. Well, darkly funny but they said um their biggest fear was surviving a really bad crash <laughs> which i totally get i mean it's yeah I don't know. The, apparently it is not indeed illegal all right kill a prey out man. there and just so, smash them all them you like <laughs> i mean don't i mean why i mean i, I don't <laughs> know do what you want but it's not illegal so <laughs> i'm not gonna tell you to do it or not do it yeah. So, um, and by the way, I, I appreciated your your Newport News um, video. If people haven't seen it, then they need to go see it. But, um, Thank you. but, uh, but yeah, you definitely had a little bit of an interesting challenge uh, getting in there, and it was it was 
quite humorous really to see because we've all been in this position but just the the expression on your face when the tower is telling you that i think it was left pattern or whatever it was and yeah and and you just kind of said okay great and then you're looking and then kind of looking again <laughs> and there's one point where you're kind of like you can see like all the you know it's just it, you're it was exactly like that that um that gift that's real common with like the math equations going by the guy's face, you know, it's you're, you're, you're trying to tilt your head or just anything to it have what this guy made sense. It took a hundred percent of my brain power at that moment <laughs> to try to figure out he's like left, left pattern to runway two five. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to like, I'm looking at the, I'm thinking the only way I can go left traffic was like, cross the airport and get on the other side and that is very unusual those of you who fly into towered airports know like it is especially like international airports like newport news like they, they it's they're not having you cross the field like they're entering you the most convenient way generally from from the direction of flight and i'm looking at this thing but i'm still so new it was that moment where i was like i'm not going to ask this guy at the international airport like that i'm not supposed to do left traffic so i'm i'm puzzling this out in my head i'm thinking i've got to be looking at this wrong like what is right and what is left um and eventually he came back and said uh yeah i see some of the comments in the chat but like those of you who saw the uncut version especially that's available for patrons like i was i was I couldn't understand what he wanted me to do, but I was, I was already trying to kind of maneuver how I was going to cross the field. And eventually he just came back out of the blue and was like, actually uh five, two Lima, make that right traffic for a runway two five. And I, I told him I was straight up like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like <laughs> yeah. that, that makes more sense. Like, I don't know what I was, I should have just asked you originally, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a great experience. And then Brian, you may have noticed that was the same, the same video that he said, um, are you able to accept a hold land and hold short clearance? And mm-hmm. that was like on my base leg. He asked me about that. And it was funny. That was my first land and hold short um, request. And I had pre-briefed, you guys would be proud of me. I had pre-briefed that airport and I knew exactly how much distance I had between the my runway and the hold short of runway two zero. And it was like 7,000 feet. And I thought to myself in that moment, if I can't land this 172 and be <laughs> thousand feet um something is first time ever accepting a land and hold short clearance as well uh which i did in plenty of time but yeah that was a that was a cool that was a cool approach yeah well people need to go check that out by the way i, I think i have a recollection also of uh the tower asking someone else to do a land and hold short and they said no or they said unable but then the same person came back on and said, actually, I sure. <laughs> I have a theory. I have a theory what happened there. I can't, I don't know this. Did I, I hear think that correctly was, though? You did. That is what okay. happened. I left, I left it in there. I think it was a, I think it was a student with an instructor. Mm. And I think the student answered. And then he and his instructor talk because there was a ton of training going on at that airport. I think he and his instructor talking and instructor like, well, you know, when I'm with you, you can do that. Cause I think a student probably knew that like, Oh, I can't accept the whole short uh, instruction. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what happened. It was a 172. Also, I saw them land later and I think it was probably a training flight that happened there. A lot of things happen. If you're, if you're reading between the lines, I didn't leave it all in the like public version, but in the patron version, there's a lot of things happening on that approach from other people. Like, um, like, uh, um, there was another airplane, 
trying to take off 2-0, who wanted to take off clearance. They have really specific rules on crossing runways when they're landing and holding short folks on one runway and taking off like the right pattern on the other. So like they're running two different patterns here, but there are rules like it's not a wild west situation where they're going to like tell the people landing on two five to hold short and also concurrently be clearing mm-hmm. two zero traffic to take off because you could quickly end up with a solution where like a situation where like the guy on two five, like me had to go around and the guy on two zero was taking off and we have like an immediate, like right after takeoff conflict. Mm-hmm. So there's still rules on that. Uh, and the guy was trying to convince the controller, like I, you know, we can, we can make an immediate turnout to the right. And the guy was like, the controller was like, yeah, I can't clear you for that. So you're just going to have to hang on a minute. Uh, but like, yeah. so there was a lot of really cool things. Like, and I heard all of it in the moment, you know, you're focused on, I'm a final one. So I'm, I'm pretty focused, but like, I hear all this going on and it was like, I'm glad I got to watch this again when I was editing that video, because it was, there was a lot happening that I, I learned a lot from that flight. It was super cool. But thank you yeah. for bringing it up. That's super cool. And also thank you uh, to Malachi Constant, who is here with us tonight. Uh, said, first time catching the show live. Started listening to the podcast a few weeks back. So he's here with us uh, like live in the chat tonight. So that's super cool to have you. Cool. I like how uh, worlds can collide. Yeah, me too. Audio podcast meets like the like live video recording. That's super cool. Glad you could hang out tonight. Yeah. And, and so, and the, it's actually doing really, really well over there. Um, and so thanks to the people that have gone and left the reviews and the, all that, because it actually, I think it really, I don't know, does things to the algorithm uh, gods or whatever, but I think we've got about 15 reviews on Apple Podcasts now, and it's really great. Um, and I think that stuff helps. So I don't know, Do if you press buttons and things around things that we've done then it always helps things that's about as elaborate as i'll get about it i'll never say please like share subscribe i can't handle that yeah, anymore, i hate doing it too i hate doing I, I do hate doing that part of the work too it's but so it's, gross i know it is gross but it is helpful it is it helpful is so, you know i mean it is these things do make a difference in like our ability to, but like you say though like nobody cares brian we're, we're just we're, we're the idea and i think this does transcend sorry for getting off I hate this is what we do the last 15 minutes, but like, I do think there's something to be said for this idea and this is getting a little heady, but like the idea is that like, there's nobody getting like, this is not a get rich. The, the, what the idea that we're putting stuff back into, I told my wife the other day, we were talking about this. Okay. I'm 44. I'll be 45 in January. I am still thinking about things like, um, what is going to happen like when I'm gone, like the, I'm more and more these days, I'm thinking about like what's going to happen later. Right. And I think no one's going to remember the companies that I worked for did the things like the, the work that I did, like in my day to day jobs are so irrelevant. Yeah. The things that I think are going to stick, like the flying club that we started at Fairmont that is now, you know, we started with five of us. There's 35 people in three airplanes and like people are learning to fly and like people are getting their certificates here and like, memories are being created and like things are happening here like that's the kind of thing that i say this is what is going to be here when i'm not anymore Mm -hmm. and i feel the same way about this content like this stupid i'm not stupid the youtube channel that i (laughs) youtube i know it's not stupid my point is it was created because i like started this thing at 40 the like learning to fly and then people 
got on board with it and said, like, I'm in midlife too, and I'm learning to fly. And like, it yeah. became this community, and suddenly there's 5,000 subscribers, and like, things are happening. Yeah. Congrats on this. That. Thank you. And that was a huge thing. This stuff is the stuff is this is the stuff that matters like mm-hmm. i just want to make stuff for the sake of making it like yes. we're not trying to do anything here other than like talk about like is this the most is this the best produced podcast even the best produced aviation podcast on the internet no it's absolutely not i can name you five ahead of us um i don't even pilot listen to this guy. podcast <laughs> airline pilot guy um <laughs> Uh, opposing bases, all these people who I'm patron, I'm a patron subscriber to these, like, no, this is not the best, but, but what else am I doing with my time that is more, that's going to have a longer last other than my family, obviously, but they're going to have a longer impact on things after I'm gone than what we're doing here. And I don't think there is any. So like the point is all that to say, like, this is a passion. This is not a, this is not a financial project this is like a passion project and i just want to create things and so like you're helping me do that with your like idea that like nobody cares like that's a huge mindset change for me to make it easier to create things um anyway way more fun so much more fun but bearded bearded aviator says the newport news video was great glad you took us all the way to the fbo and that is a thing that i did uh, quick thing i i actually showed the taxi sequence like the whole way after landing to, to like taxi instructions and like getting across the international airport, like how to get to the FBO I was going to. Cause that, I don't really show that cause that's kind of like in the weeds kind of stuff. But like, I thought I never show this. And like, I don't know how many people to a lot of people, that's a big hurdle for flying to a new place. Oh, like, yeah. How do I taxi this place? So that was, I just left it in there cause I thought it was cool and there was, it was pretty busy and there was a lot going on. Um, that, was, that was a great idea. Uh, by the way, Jay Little says, do either of you participate in the WINGS program? I do. Uh, I mean, I'm not, you know, constantly doing things, but I definitely have uh, accumulated over time with the drone piece and with the uh, aviation piece. I definitely have, you know, some some experience points there, whatever they call it. And uh, <clears throat> it does help with your insurance, actually. Really? Yeah, I won't help with my club insurance, but yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I know that it might be very nominal, but I figure they ask you if you're a part of, if you do any, they basically ask if you do any extracurricular safety training. And when you list the wings program and you say how many credits you have, then that actually, you know, might save you $5 a year, but it, you know, it's something. Uh, so yeah, the answer is yes. Uh, I want to answer Josh's question. Do you call unit? Speaking of new FBOs and like going to new airports, this is, a, I got several questions on YouTube about this after I posted the video. Do you call Unicom and where do you park? New FBOs still make me nervous. So I, I'm going to say this answer varies greatly by where you're going. Uh, but in the cases that I had, it, so that was my, the video I just posted was my first time to Newport news. I've been back there twice believe it or not since that that video was filmed in february or march i don't know it's it's been a while uh i've been back there twice that was atlantic aviation and what is super cool about atlantic they're one of the big players and you've heard horror stories about big players and how they don't like ga you know whatever atlantic was super great i was able to make an account online for free put in my tail numbers and stuff and and pre-plan my trip. Like I told them I was coming when I was anticipated arriving. 
generally speaking, all these FBOs are monitoring tower frequency anyhow, or at least ground, you know, like they're, they're listening for tail numbers that are coming in. And when I told them I was going to Atlantic, that perked the ears up at Atlantic. But what's cool is if you find one of these big places that has a place you could tell them you're coming ahead of time, like I was able to tell them like estimated how much fuel I wanted. And I also put a note in there. It's like, I have a rental car from enterprise. They're dropping off at your place, whatever. Every time I've flown in there, when I got there, the the lineman that met me at Atlantic, when I shut my engine down, said, hey, we see that you're going to want fuel. Do you still want 18 gallons or whatever it is? And I said, no, you know, just top the inboard main tanks, leave the tips alone or whatever. They were just ready to do it. And when I walked in the FBO, no joke, the uh, the person at the front desk greeted me by name. They'd watched who I'd come in with and, and handed me keys to the rental car and said, Mr. Moran, your rental car is you know ready. It's parked out here in the Enterprise lot. Like, it was seamless. Uh, and no fee for that. I mean, I did pay, I think, at Atlantic, I think I paid like a $18 overnight security fee or whatever because I was parked there for multiple overnights, but there was no, rant, there was no landing fee. There was just fuel. Uh, but I have had no... Anywhere I've ever went, Charleston, West Virginia, um, Newport News, um, Currituck County here at North Carolina. I think it, it depends also. Yeah, again, the, the, you know, you're talking more about Class Charlie airports, I think. And there's a lot of Class Deltas. You kind of get into that weird interstitial space between how service level is this place or, or whatever. Uh, you know, for me, I, I just... Um, I maybe I just have a certain like a uh, certain amount of luck, but I just I just roll up, man. I just I mean I'm they know I'm taxing. Oh yeah, up, and I just it, roll it up, and somebody comes out or they don't. The other thing I learned, at least even at my home airport here, is uh, there was it was the first time that somebody just didn't come out and tell me where to park, and and I saw a spot along the front line, and I just was I just thought ah. I'm just going to go I wheeled yeah. that thing around. And I, I even left it sticking out. I didn't even push it back and just walked in there and said, I'm parked over here. I'd like fuel. I'll be back tomorrow. And they're like, cool. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Yeah. In most airports, especially class deltas that are, that are small with a single FBO or whatever, it's, you just show up. I felt I, a little I, bit like Chevy Chase returning a rental car or something. It felt more kind of like, right. <laughs> like I was being callous, but it was really just like, I don't know. I'm just going to, until you, if you're not coming to me, I'm just going to roll up. But like at the one of the video, like Newport news, they have two like full service FBOs there. So the guy even asked me like, which, you know, which FBO are you going to? Why well, done my homework already? I knew I was going to Atlantic. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I think it does definitely vary by size. Like, you know, where are you going? If there's any need to even call ahead in most cases, even if I hadn't planned ahead at Atlantic, no big deal. Just show up. Like you just show up and they're, they're listening to, uh, they're listening to the frequencies. There's going to be somebody out there to meet you. So it's, it seems super intimidating. Uh, but I have yet to run into anyone anywhere mm. who has been anything but super helpful. So uh, we're, we're saying all this is an answer. And then Josh is going to have a next video that he publishes and it's going to be like incident at FBO. <laughs> right. Cause I didn't call ahead and they didn't know I was coming. And like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, um, so old aviator says, uh, yeah, I'll fire that up. 
Uh, yeah, when I was getting back into flying after decades, I'm assuming it's the one, your early videos were comforting as you were going through the training that I was also going through again in order to get a flight review. I appreciate that. That's, uh, I was, um, <clears throat> you know, it was, uh, I do think there's, we've talked about this as kind of the base of our podcast, Brian, right? Like there's challenges to it when you're doing this at this age, um, when you're kind of starting here and you haven't had any previous um, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard as a kid and it's hard as a midlife. It's harder as a midlife person, I would argue. So it's, um, I appreciate that. I'm, I, I started the videos. I've told people before this whole kind of thing started from, uh, when we were trying to, I was just trying to document my own training and, uh, it ended up being help, super helpful for me to document my own training. And then when it started becoming helpful for others, I was like, this is freaking sweet. I'm going to quit. I'm going to keep doing it. Like it's, do, you, uh, do you ever go back and revisit just casually or skip through any of your early training videos? Yes, I do. It's horrifying. It uh, really is, isn't it? It is horrifying. Yep. To go to back the point and watch. Where you them. kind of want to take them off the internet? I do, but I'm not because <laughs> I've built this beautiful playlist on YouTube, the Road to Private Pilot series, and it is yeah. the entirety from the very first intro flight to the check ride. Um, and I can't break that up now, but yes, I watch some of them and think. <laughs> so your OCD supersedes your vanity as well. Oh you're my God. I think, oh my God, I can't mess up this order now, but some of them are <laughs> like, uh, man, if I knew then what I know now, uh, I would do this so differently, but that's part of the process. It's part yeah. of the process for everybody. And it's, uh, it's a good process and I'm still learning every single time. In fact, I'm so excited. You guys stay tuned. There's I'm uh, Brian. I'm editing part two of the Outer Banks flying video right now, which is our trip to Oak Coast. It'll be coming for patrons, Lord willing, this weekend, and for the general public on uh, 10, 11, the 18th of June. And then my very next video is is going to be hopefully this Sunday. I'm going to go back to Fairmont, jump in a Cessna 150. For the very first time I've ever flown a 150, I'm putting cameras on the airplane, no instructor with me, uh, just checklists and POH, and I'm going to fly a new model airplane for the first time by myself and uh, just document every step of it. And I, I could not be more excited. I don't know what happened to me. At some point during my training, I was like, I can't wait to fly bigger, faster planes. And now I am like... I can't wait to fly the legendary trainer, the Pinto of all <laughs> single engine uh, aircraft. And Stinky Weasel One is in here. It's his airplane, actually. Uh, he just bought Bill, my friend Bill, and uh, three others just got together and formed an LLC and bought this airplane and leased it to our flying club. So it has been waiting at Fairmont. I've not got to see it personally or get in. I've never flown a 150. Do you think it smells bad? No, I well, I hope not. It better not, Bill. But it's beautiful. Well, I was uh, just thinking based on his name. <laughs> Stinky Weasel. It's beautiful. I've seen pictures. I cannot wait to sit in it and fly it on Sunday. Like I, I, I don't know how, what happened to me, but the 150, this is like my, I can't wait. I, I'm just so excited. <laughs> so there's good stuff coming and it's all learning. I mean, I, you know, it's going to be a learning experience and, um, I just, uh, we're in a great place. Like, I feel like it's just, this is a, it's a pivotal p- kind of pivotal moments here, like, uh, of learning and, and just, just <laughs> all of this work, all of this dedication just so that you could finally fly. It's just no one fifty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look what I'm seeing on a two thirty five, but it's not the same. 
look what I've built myself up to. Like, yeah, but it's, it's awesome. You know, it's, these are the things that, um, that'll be my third make and model fourth. I have a, I have a, I have a warrior, bunch of 172 time, a 235, and I'll be a 150. And that's like the fourth, the fourth airplane I've flown. So super excited. It's, uh, so much more to learn. Instrument bearded, rating got to start. Soon. Bearded Aviator has flown about 27 different planes. Uh, that guy has flown. Mike has flown everything. Um, so Fowler 28379. I have solo maybe Friday. Uh, where? Where is that? I'm scrolling back. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're fine. He's saying, Chris, on your solo, did you only do one takeoff and landing? Or is three normal? Oh, oh, great question. Yes, Fowler Tree. Okay, I have a, he has a solo coming up maybe on Friday. On your solo, did you only do one takeoff landing? I think three is normal. Am I remembering that right? Very good. Now, that's a great question. Um, so you <laughs> you did see my solo video. That's hilarious that people remember. This is why, this is why I leave things on the internet, Brian. You said don't yeah. take things off. I wussed out. Uh, I did a go around on my first approach because I, you know, at that stage of my flying, I thought every approach was inappropriate to continue landing. So I went around on, uh, and then I landed a, them on my second approach and then decided I didn't want to do anymore. So I took the plane back. So yes, I did only do one. Most people, most instructors and Kevin's here, but like, I mean, people say, Hey, go up and do three laps. Give me three laps in the pattern and come back. And that's, that is pretty normal. Uh, but yes, you are remembering correctly. I was out and only did one landing on my first solo. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that there's n maybe normal as much as I say it's customary. Generally, I think that it's three, but it's not required. And it's, um, you know, you might be in a situation where there's something going off the plane or there, you know, there's uh, conditions changing or something. So it's not like you got to persist through three. So I, I did at, three. I got to look at, I got to, I got to mention this Joe, uh, Joe Sager says um, he soloed at ni 19 years old, took his check ride at 66 years and seven months old. So he had his first solo at 19 years old and, and did not take his check ride. He, I guess, you know, things happened and then he ended up getting back to training, took his check ride at 66 wow. years. That's incredible. Boy, the, the regs have gone through some changes, huh? Oh my gosh! Can you imagine what's difference uh, in forty? You know, like they actually have regulations now. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's really really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, good for you, Joe. That's awesome. Uh, sorry, one more. Uh, Al Gibson. When training, did you read the far aim like a book, or did you just use it as a reference, like a dictionary? I'll answer, Brian, then you can. I definitely <laughs> did not read it. Uh, I did not. I did not read it like a book. I, uh, I use it as a reference, um, because there are so many sections, frankly, I mean, let's be honest, that do not apply to you as a private pilot student. I mean, there's just so many that don't, that, I mean, there's, you would be wasting so much time. So I, I spent a good deal of time in it. I actually, I bought, and Brian's going to get his, he may have done the same thing. I bought a set of tabs for mine from a guy who was making tests, uh, that really helped me go through it and pick out the areas that were key. Um, you look like you tap me. Did you tab yours manually? Yours looks really good. Yeah, I did it myself. Yeah. So, you know, you pick out the key areas that, you know, you're going to get asked in your check ride. You kind of know those, or at least know where they are and you put tab. No, I didn't. I certainly. 
So check this out. I, I don't know if you I'm can not. see this, but to, to your point about reading it all the way through, absolutely no point because so much of it, like you said, does not apply. I was so frustrated by that that I actually highlighted I highlighted the actual like I actually highlighted sixty one and ninety one. Yeah, I see it there. Yeah, I see it. That's the proportion. I mean, of that amazing. Where you're really going to be looking around. So it's definitely do not read it like a book. Definitely use it as a reference. Definitely isolate and make clear right away what are the sections that. I mean, there's there's all the drone stuff in here. There's all the. I mean, there's just not. You know, the part sixty one and part ninety one stuff is is very small proportion. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Um, you know, or if you really bearded, like avi- bearded aviator would like to remind you that that's last year's edition, and you need a newer version to start your instrument training. So uh, you better- just threw it away. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's what I wanted to um, ask you about this, uh, Chris. How's your instrument training going? <laughs> but don't ask about that. It's not going. I haven't started, so I will. I will. It's going to be a whole series, you know, I keep saying it's life uh, gets in the way and then things get busy and, but, but it's, uh, it is a thing that's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. I, I just finally finished all of the videos in sporties and I'm getting ready to order the shepherd, um, instrument written thing. And then, uh, I'm about to schedule it and just get after it even though i know that i'm not ready now if i don't schedule it i won't so i'm just gonna schedule it so i think i'm gonna have the instrument written done here hopefully by i don't know late july good for you well you're about to you're about to you're about to surpass me but I, the trajectory saw that coming i mean just at the rate it was <laughs> your, i mean you're flying you're just flying scientists I mean, studying the situation yeah, it's uh <laughs> i i've become the casual like weekend warrior as it is uh, like i'm I'm just kind of, I'm that guy now. And so oh, you're the I like, think, serious. Uh, I think it's, it really comes down to just, I am so, like getting back to sort of the theme of this whole show here. I think one of the things I'm also very afraid of, very afraid of is any kind of atrophying of the skills and the learning and the feel. If I, 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 I'm so terrified of getting in a plane and feeling like I've lost something or that I'm further back. And that is a huge anxiety of mine. And I just feel like for me to get to a point where I can endure a longer break, if I'm taking one, I need, I'm just going to keep plowing this field right now so that I can have that experience in the bank to rely on a little bit later. If I do, take a break. But right now, if I don't, not, it's not just cause I just, I enjoy it and I want to all the time, but I feel like if I don't fly every with like within a week or two weeks, like I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. Um, yeah. not, not, not that I legit think I'm going to lose it all or yeah. something, but just, I, I just want to, I want to aggressively stay ahead of that, uh, potential or that, that possibility. And then the other thing for me too, is that I, I'm imagining like the reason why I did the night currency and then immediately did a night cross country and all that is I'm just trying to think about, I'm trying to get ahead now. It's like, okay, I'm starting to take a lot of longer trips. I don't want to be caught out with, you know, 
my wife in the plane and feel like I'm not totally certain that I can get this thing back at night with a, a certain amount of confidence with her in the plane or whatever, you know, and not have the currency. And so I just feel like, what are all the scenarios so that I don't feel undue pressure to make decisions to get back before nighttime. I want to be able to feel yeah, totally fair. confident at night. So I'm doing that. So yeah, it's I'm kind of down to that stuff. I just wonder if I'm, I wonder if I'm not, and this is just now I'm talking out loud, but I thinking out loud, but I wonder if I'm just not the opposite a little bit and that I'm taking it for granted now a little bit. Like I can go three or four weeks and be like, well, I haven't flown since I went to Newport news for work a month ago, but I'm, as soon as I get back on Sunday, I can't wait to take this new plane out that I've never flown before. And just like, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if I'm just not, I'm not as worried about like, um, I'm in the ride a bike syndrome now where I feel like I'm yeah. not going to forget how to, I'm not going to forget how to, to fly. I'm just not yeah. going to forget that. But I do think to myself sometimes, Brian, that's a very good point. Like I think about how much I have forgotten, like, uh, of things that I needed to know for my check ride. You remember how crazy it was when you were like prepping for your check ride and like all the things you, you just thought like, I have to know all of these things, like how many feet above a, um, like a uh, wildlife nature, a wildlife uh, protected wildlife area, you have to be. I don't know. I have to look that up now because I don't know how far mm-hmm. that is. Like I'm yeah. just thinking of all these things that I'm. Also, thinking- how tall is the wildlife? Well, above sea level. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, there's that. Well, I can I can find that. But you know, the point <laughs> is like all of these things that that I don't that I took for granted. Like because I was studying so much. Yeah, everybody knows. Here comes Josh. Two thousand. Okay, fair. Okay, I would have had to look that up, but thank you for that. I'm going to take your word on it because if, the, it's, if you've seen it on the internet, it must be true. But the point, my point is that like I've stopped thinking about, I don't know that I'll think about those things again. Do you, you know what I mean? And so yeah. then I think, well, should I have went right to this? But then the other part of me says like every time I fly though, like every hour that goes by now that I'm in the plane, I'm spending less energy when I'm in the plane thinking about things that I used to have to think about, like the power settings and like how the plane feels and like, what's my RPM at and what's my speed and what's this. Yeah. Communications. Like I think the more those things are easy for me. Yeah. Then when I start my instrument, I'm so far ahead of that. I don't have to think like that. That part takes up such a little piece of the pie now of my mental space. I'm really going to be able to focus on the things that I'm, that I'm focusing on at that point. So that's kind of how I keep myself grounded and thinking like, I'm, it's, I'm not going to forget how to fly a plane in a week. Like I'm not, I'm not going to forget, like I'm going to be completely competent when I get home. It'll be, it'll be, it will be almost a month since I've flown when I get home on Sunday and fly that plane. But I'm thinking I, I I'm going to remember how to fly an airplane when I get home on Sunday. I'm not worried about that uh, at this point. Uh, but the night stuff, like you mentioned, I have been trying to stay up on my night flying because we're going to go in July. We're flying to Cincinnati for a Greta Van Fleet concert. Brian, yeah. I appreciate that. You have a reference coming up in the upcoming YouTube video of a Greta Van Fleet reference. But yeah, it's like I'm going to fly. Do? You do. You said Greta Van Fleet on the radio. You may not remember it, but it's I have it. It's in the video. Oh. I just heard it today. It's great. But I'm going to fly to Cincinnati with my daughter and wife, and we're going to fly back from that concert at night in the dark. Yeah, uh, from Cincinnati to to Fairmont, which is you know again it's like Ohio like darkness like complete nothingness. That's yeah. a pretty rough stretch of nothing. It's just yeah. black. Uh, so I'm trying to I'm, as much as I hate night flying. I'm trying. I'm thinking ahead to that. I'm thinking about my family on the airplane, right? So I'm trying to like be. I'm gonna 
do more night stuff leading up to that than I like. Yes. To do. I don't like night flying. I'm not a night flying mm-hmm. fan, uh, but I'm going to start doing more of it. I will say that, you know, for me, I, there's so many things about it that I really like. And then there's just, uh, I, I feel that way until something goes wrong. But, <laughs> and if I start thinking about the potentials and we're talking about like fear again, you know, it's, <laughs> we didn't even talk about, you know, all the things that come up at night. But um, I will say that for me, it, it I actually, I kind of love it. I kind of, I kind of want to do more of it um, and find reasons or ways to do it that, that makes sense. It's pretty, I, I love how quiet the radios are by comparison. And I love the sensation of, feeling like you're just like you can't see yourself moving so you just kind of feel like you're suspended it's yeah you know what else you can't you know what else you can't see at night where where you're gonna land in when your engine dies Mm -hmm. like so so it was just classic to me because it's such like i love analyzing you specifically and and i don't know that we'll ever get into it in the grander scheme of things like with what happened on our fly-in but like the, the the I'm serious. The risk aversion of like um, what risk existed from the thing that happened to the plane you were flying yeah, and how very specific you were about the risk aversion, like statistically night flying in a single engine piston. I mean, like the statistics (laughs) are like, I mean, the risk of death is like significantly increased flying at night. I mean, like, it's not even in the same realm. It's significant. Um, yeah, yeah. But I also like it for the same reasons you do. I, there's just, there's, there's like, there's a mental part of it that is just so it's surreal. I mean, like it is just a complete detachment of like reality. Uh, yeah. And it, it's the, the peace and just the, it's just so uh, like you say, when things are fine, until the time they're not. And then it's like, now you're thinking, then you have to think like, Oh, this, this black spot over here looks good. Except what is it? A pond, a a building, a forest. Like, I don't know what I'm going to go put the plane in there, but I, I do also for the same reasons you love it. Like there's the, there's the part of it that when you're up there, it is just so, um, it's just such a moment. Like, it's just such a, um, you can just separate, from the universe really it's just such yeah. a it's such a thing <laughs> it's it's so maybe the the high of the weirdness of the high of that is uh more appealing to me than uh flying a possibly bad mag fouled plug kind of plane all along the beach for an hour <laughs> but uh you know i i I still can't believe that I th- I flew six hours that next day. Yeah, that's pretty pretty. That's a lot of flying. Yeah, it did but, fine. Yeah, it did fine. Yeah, it was great. I I think six hours with other people would be not as fun as there's something about flying solo for that long, um, and you don't have to worry about anybody else. You know, if you just you kind of blow your altitude a little bit, you just. <laughs> <laughs> you know oh yeah yeah you're not worried oh, about yeah. anybody's comfort you know <laughs> i love solo flying i really do yeah um well so uh oh there was one question uh let's see here we'll, we'll we'll just wrap up here real quick with 
everybody's I want to make sure we get to everybody's something. Uh, Phoenix Sales haven't done my written yet either. Okay, so maybe we should just all agree that we should have a study group or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, all you guys are other people. Ahead I don't know. Yeah, you guys are all ahead of me on your instruments. So uh, once you get your instrument ticket filed, just about every time you fly helps tremendously. I totally get that. I mean, even on a smaller scale, just um, even though it's not quite the same. Uh, if I think about when I first started, how I would do a lot of flights without flight following, even if, you know, because I wasn't really, I just felt like, well, I'm just doing a 30 minute flight or whatever. Now I, I, I do flight following everywhere all the time, nonstop. And if I'm not on flight following, it actually feels weird. So, um, I think that the same kind of thing on the next level up, uh, I can see that definitely happening with instrument. Uh, let's see. Uh, Restream tells us that we've received 100 messages. Okay, great. Um, Yay! <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Bearded Aviator said that uh, this has been an enlightening podcast. He called us gentlemen. Um, and we've been here almost 90 minutes. Oh, because they were waiting. Oh, <laughs> that also reminds us we've been here almost 90 minutes. <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> So the gentleman and the uh, we've been here almost ninety minutes. Uh, one dog gig. You also you can or you also can't see where you're going to land in IMC either. Yeah, um, that's fair. I said you can't see it. I can't see it in IMC either. So that, I mean, yes, absolutely. No, that's fair. That's a fair yeah. comparison to make. If you're going to fly, if I'm talking about getting my instrument rating so I can fly yeah. IMC in a single engine piston, yeah. At night as well. You're right. That's I think fair. also it's about route planning. I mean, you know, take a take a path. You know, if go the way. You know, I took a path on this last one where I knew that if anything happened, I was going to go west of the interstate, and that the odds of me hitting a green field were going to be pretty high. I, I chose the path of my navigation to be over the most uh, possible landing spots in that darkness. Um, so some route planning stuff that can help in that, I think, but okay. I think the regs on cross countries in the seventies were much longer than they are now. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause you just like, I mean, songs on the radio were 15 minutes in the seventies. I mean, of course, um, bring the seventies back. Uh, first time joining live on YouTube, not on Spotify. Thanks for having the option to interact. Very yep. cool. It's aviation journey. Thank you for being here. It was great to hang out. We don't normally go long. We're an hour typically, but when things come in like this at the end, we try to get to everybody. But thank you for being here. It was great to have you. Yeah, let's try to rush through the rest of these real quick. Uh, oh, yeah. First, first night flight while I was on final, the runway lights went out. I think I wore out the push to talk button, Scott Webster. Um, <laughs> try to turn them on. Yeah, I kind of had an experience like that on my on this last one where I guess sometimes you just turn them you turn them on and it's just because of the angle that you are it just doesn't look very bright until you or I don't know. I've had certain airports. I've been turning mine like, down lately. Like yeah. I, I used to get all like I want them as like at seven. Like I was like, <laughs> yeah. get them as bright as they can be. And then I'm like, oh yeah. my God, it's so much brighter than everything else in the world. I just need yeah. them to like calm down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um Two, let's see, Fowler 28379. Chris scared of night. 
I don't think you're scared of nerds. Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, 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 you are. Yeah, I, am. I don't like knife flying. I really okay. do not. I do not. I do not do it. Uh, but he's pointing out that two weeks ago I said I would consider the impossible term, which I did say because it depends on conditions. Like I would absolutely like depending on the options, I would turn back. But his point is like I'm scared of flying at night, but I would consider the impossible. Term. <laughs> I fell on my chair. Can't wait until it is more relaxing. I it's think it's so fair to say. Now for him. Yeah, yeah. We, we all have these paradoxes, right? Yeah. Like these kind of contradictions. Absolutely. And I think that's just part of it. I think everybody has their own things that you, someone else might see as like kind of un, like that's not correct. But, you know, until you've, I don't know, everybody's got their own take on it. But like, sure. If I, like we said, I, I met my, my disclaimer about the impossible term was like an 8,000 foot runway and like a headwind. And like, I had all this runway left still behind me. Like I might consider the impossible. If I was taking off into a 50 knot headwind, five zero, on an 8,000 foot runway, I might consider the impossible turn at 300 feet. <laughs> right? I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I might still have, I might have, I might be over the runway with still a 5,000 feet behind me. Like, you know, yeah. it's just the variables. There's so Cause many. Then, Cause then you're looking at the choice of, okay, either I do it and I'm alive and I make it, or I die never knowing. If a fifty knot headwind would have gotten me back at 300 Of course, feet. the fifty knot tailwind becomes the fifty knot tailwind a 50 knot headwind becomes a 50 knot tailwind so like yeah. i'm not sure that i'm gonna turn and anyway the point is like there's conditions that would yeah <laughs> all right let's get out of here yep good call thanks everybody uh for hanging out tonight it was fun we went long we'll uh get more discipline thanks to all the new folks who are here tonight um <laughs> valor says we need to talk about taking off of the but i mean i don't know great climb performance anyway uh it was great having everybody um We'll be back in two weeks, uh, back on uh, schedule. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Good talking to you again. Thank you, sir. And uh, good. we'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Take care.